the La Crosse Public Library Archives presents Dark Lacrosse Stories, a series in collaboration with the La Crosse Tribune. Dark Lacrosse is a suite of programs that feature the seedier side of lacrosse history and also include a downtown walking tour, a trolley tour, and an annual stage production with new content each year. votes for Abraham Lincoln now is a traitor. Lincoln is a traitor and a murderer. Had any former Democratic president warred upon the Constitution or trifled with the destiny of the nation as Lincoln has, he would have been turned to perdition long since. And if he is elected to misgovern another four years, we trust some bold hand will pierce his heart with a dagger point for the common good. How much longer will ye stand this insult, O ye willing people, and tell whether it is worthwhile to support Abraham Lincoln, tyrant, widowmaker, and hell's vice-strand on earth, those inflammatory words are those of the editor of the Lacrosse Democrat newspaper, Marcus Brick Pomeroy, during the Civil War. He was initially a Lincoln supporter at the outbreak of the war, but he had switched sides after visiting a Union camp in Arkansas. There he saw war victims awaiting a slow and tortuous death in field hospitals. Further enraging him was witnessing reckless corruption. As a result, in 1862, he found himself in a minority of Southern sympathizers living north of the Mason-Dixon line called Copperheads, after the venomous species of snake found only in southern regions. In April 1864, Pomeroy boldly labeled Abraham Lincoln as the widowmaker of the 19th century. That did not sit well with many local residents. He was often badgered on the street, and threats to his life were made, but no serious attempts were made. One year later, news came from Washington. Abraham Lincoln had been assassinated. Locals quickly recalled Brick Pomeroy's words that some bold hand should pierce Lincoln's heart with a dagger point for the public good. Pomeroy's counterpart at the La Crosse Republican newspaper, Charles Seymour, sent a copy of Pomeroy's dagger editorial to the New York Tribune. It was printed, and overnight, Pomeroy had become infamous. He was now suspected of heading a treasonable organization known as the Knights of the Golden Circle. Angry mobs in La Crosse threatened to destroy the La Crosse Democrat office and lynch Pomeroy in retaliation. A courier gave Pomeroy a letter at his house from a notable city Republican who urged Pomeroy to leave town at once or die at the hands of a mob. Brick sent a note to the mayor stating he had certain rights as a citizen which he intended to defend till his death. Staying in the relative safety of his house due to an illness and the recommendation of his physician, Pomeroy sent for a few prominent Republicans to his house to discuss the ugly situation. When the Republican delegation left his house, Brick began to prepare for battle. He sent downtown for more firearms while the women gathered loose stones, rocks, bricks, and whatever might be used as defense against an angry mob. Then they waited. Fortunately for Pomeroy and his family, the mayor, a Catholic priest, and many leading Republicans in town talked several riotous and drunken crowds into abandoning any plans of a lynching or of destroying the lacrosse Democrat office. Order had been restored. Pomeroy and his family lived peacefully in the cross after that near brush with death. 
Because of his notoriety and that of his paper, subscriptions soared for his weekly edition, especially in Texas and the southern states. Before Lincoln's death, Pomeroy claimed that the lacrosse Democrat turned out less than 150 copies a week. By 1868, the circulation had swelled to 100,000. With the Civil War over, Pomeroy was rich and famous. He opened a branch office of his paper in New York City in 1868. Circulation and his bank accounts swelled. In 1871, he sold his paper, The Lacrosse Democrat, and moved to Chicago, where he began printing Pomeroy's Democrat. However, in 1879, he decided to move back to Lacrosse and reestablish The Lacrosse Democrat. The move was a tad awkward. I had to rent office space from my ex-wife in my own building. I did, however, have the benefit of a young, outstanding junior partner here in La Crosse. His name was Alphys S. Foote. Mr. Foote married Cordell Vincent just last year. That's right, Cordell Vincent, the only daughter of the wealthy lumber baron James Vincent. One must choose one's junior partners very carefully. It was Foote's job to establish the palatial office and to raise funds. And wouldn't you know it, James Vincent put up some of the cash to help his new son-in-law. Like I said, I choose my partners carefully. At 6.30 p.m. on Thursday, April 1, 1880, an employee of the paper was working late. While walking past the bathroom, he noticed a cigar box filled with paper and other combustibles. In the middle of it was a lit candle. He quickly extinguished the candle and alerted the authorities. Alphys Foote was arrested two hours later. While he was awaiting his preliminary hearing, two counts of forgery were added to the charge. Foote had forged his father-in-law's name for credit to the total of over $15,000. James Vincent would visit his son-in-law in jail. No one knows what was discussed, but it was noted that Foote was not bailed out. There was no state statute for attempted arson, so on November 24th of 1880, the soon-to-be-divorced Foote was sentenced to five years in state prison for forgery. Turns out Alpha's Foote was a bad idea. Many people believed I had knowledge of the arson attempt. They even thought that I had started a fire that wiped out the Lacrosse Republican office in 1865. It was, however, discovered that I knew of the forgery of James Vincent. I had to move out west after this incident. I would never again return to La Crosse, Wisconsin. One must choose his partners wisely. And now I'd like to welcome in Anita Taylor Doring, Senior Archivist and the Archives Department Manager at the La Crosse Public Library, who did some of the initial research for this story. Pomeroy was a colorful character, and his story is actually national in scope. While at first glance you might think that Pomeroy was a journalist, he was really part businessman, part showman, and part salesman. The fact that he wasn't lynched by lacrosse citizens is a tribute to the handling of the situation by leaders in the local Republican Party and the fact that Pomeroy purposefully owed some amounts of money to prominent leaders. If Pomeroy was lynched or the Democrat offices were destroyed, the creditors would never see their money. 
Although there were many interesting tidbits that had to be cut from the script, I want to focus on the events between the conclusion of the Civil War and Pomeroy's return to La Crosse in 1871. With the Civil War over and Pomeroy's number one target, Abraham Lincoln, dead, Brick looked for new adventures. By the summer of 1866, the business end of the La Crosse Democrat was booming, and in 1867, Pomeroy laid the foundation to build a model printing office on the southwest corner of Main and 4th Streets at a cost of $70,000, quite a sum in that time. With his financial success, Pomeroy enjoyed trips out east for three to four months at a time and had become familiar with Boss Tweed, the boss of Tammany Hall, the Democratic Party's political machine. At Tweed's insistence, the La Crosse editor decided to open a branch office of the La Crosse Democrat in New York City in 1868. To accomplish this, Pomeroy reportedly borrowed $25,000 from Tweed and secured another $30,000 from an insurance company, mortgaging his new office in La Crosse to establish the New York edition. In five weeks, Pomeroy's paper had a circulation of $39,000 with more promised. Brick was able to pay off his debt to Tweed and the insurance company and still managed to front $17,500 to a political candidate. Back in La Crosse, Pomeroy decided to gift the city of La Crosse a grand opera house, something the city was lacking, by adding on to his building at Main and 4th Streets. The venue was located on the 3rd and 4th floors on the west end of his model printing facility. The opera house project was quickly dubbed Pomeroy's Folly by the local press. Brick refused to listen to the architect and the contractor. There was no way to heat the theater. There was no allowance for any natural light. During construction, no allowance was made for heating, so large sections of walls had to be removed to accommodate chimneys. Many interior rooms had no natural light, which also wasn't conducive to attracting business renters. Brick would often brag of his opera house and described its elegance and beauty to his friends in the East. However, most lacrosse residents considered it to be a dump and a fire trap. Shortly after the completion of the Opera House, Tweed and Pomeroy had a falling out. As a result, Pomeroy claimed to have done some investigation and exposed Tammany Hall corruption and the undoing of Tweed and his cronies. Tweed spent the remainder of his days in jail. Unfortunately, Brick was told to leave New York City for good between sunset and sunrise. As noted in the script, Pomeroy headed to Chicago and eventually did come back to La Crosse in 1871. His bank account somewhat lightened, shall we say. Pomeroy apparently failed to pay taxes around 1871 and 1872, and that portion of the building that housed the Democrat was acquired by Pomeroy's ex-wife, Anna A. Reed, who owned it for 10 years, selling it to John Ulrich. The Opera House portion of the building was acquired by Charter Oak Insurance Company. Famous people that took the stage included Mrs. Elizabeth Cady Stanton in 1869, Lacrosse's own Doc Powell with Wild Bill Cody in a play titled Prairie Waif in 1881, and Mark Twain hawking his new book The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn in 1885. Alexander McMillan bought the Opera House portion in 1886, and it was referred to as the McMillan Opera House. True to its initial local reputation as a fire trap, the Opera House burned in 1897. The Linker brothers acquired that portion of the building and by 1904 acquired the rest of the building from Ulrich's estate. Sadly, the Linker building also burned to the ground in 1861, leaving a gaping hole in the heart of downtown La Crosse for many years. Thanks for listening.